Welcome to the Giving Voice to Depression podcast, produced in partnership with the A.B. Corker Foundation for Mental Health. We are your co-hosts, Bridget and Terry. Each week, through intimate, candid conversations with guests, we explore different perspectives on and experiences of depression. We keep it real because the illness is real. We keep it hopeful because there truly is hope in spite of what depression tells you. We are not experts or therapists. We are sisters and best friends who live with depression and have interviewed hundreds of other people who do as well. We've learned that hearing others speak openly and without shame about their experiences makes it easier to believe depression is a common and treatable illness, not a personal failing. You are far from alone. September is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and we want to begin this episode with the not often stated fact that awareness alone is not enough to save endangered lives. To that point, we want to share a really powerful Facebook post from this weekend by Jess Stolman Rainey, who is, to be honest, a total stranger to us. But what Jess wrote struck a chord, and we thought it might in you too. In part, Jess's post said, Every way that we have learned to adapt to a world that wasn't built for us is beautiful and deserves to be honored. And every way that we have learned to survive won't serve us forever. Just keeping people alive despite suffering cannot be the point of suicide prevention. Suicide prevention needs to be world building. And we need to build a world where we belong radically belong. The image accompanying that post had this text. Suicide prevention is honoring every tactic we use to survive the world while also making the world more survivable. It is housing and feeding each other. It is sharing resources. It is medications and health care and school. It is forming deep connections and doing justice and creating dignity and being accountable. It is doing and being imperfectly, but in community. It is loving each other. It is care work. It is dismantling the systems that hurt us. But more than that, it is making something new and better. It is a radical belonging. Thank you, Jess, for those words and for moving the conversation beyond a bumper sticker. Today's episode is an update of one that we originally did in 2018 with Patty, a mother who had just lost her 18-year-old son by suicide. She talked with us then because already she was trying to help others and save them the pain that her family was experiencing. We decided to rerun the interview when we saw a video Patty posted online earlier this month and realized that she's still at it on what would have been her son, Jack's 21st birthday, she challenged her network to perform random acts of kindness in his memory, paying for coffee for the person in line behind you, dropping off a milkshake or other pick-me-up for a friend. Simple but important gestures of caring in a world that can feel very uncaring. So, with her permission and blessing, we wanted to help her spread her message with our podcast. Here is Patty Kajawa once again giving her voice to depression. We begin with an excerpt from her online challenge. There's so many people struggling right now, 
and we all can't physically put our hands on people's shoulders and tell them that the world is good. So let's show them. Show them that there is goodness out there. Show them that there is kindness out there. And I think that just showing that goodness is really something that someone might need for today and and, and might also help them get the help that they need. Because, again, mental illness is just something that you have, like diabetes, like cancer. And we need to accept it as that and and help people understand that there is good in this world and that they can get the help that they need because it is. It's just like another illness. Emotions are hard and sometimes we all need help and we all need a pick-me-up. The second half of Patty's ask is that you post a picture of the random act of kindness that you perform this month and add the hashtags Mental Health Matters and Kajawa Strong, K-U-J-A-W-A Strong. We'll link to them in our episode notes so she can see how her words have inspired kindnesses across the globe. Here now is a tragic truth from our 2018 interview. My daughter, a social worker, introduced us to the concept of holding two seemingly conflicting truths at the same time. We can have depression and still be a good friend, parent, or partner, still be fun to be around sometimes, and have a great sense of humor. We can know some of the many steps we can all take to help prevent suicides and know that sometimes, in spite of everything we try, we may lose a loved one to depression's despair. Today's guest, Patty, is living that heartbreaking truth. Before we dive into her story, we want to take a step back and revisit one of our very first episodes with Barbara Moser, an MD, who works in suicide prevention and is also a member of our board. This part of Dr. Moser's interview kept coming up for us as we discussed today's episode, so we want to start with it, since it makes it really clear just how complicated the concept of suicide prevention is. Are there things that we can do to prevent suicide? Absolutely. Will some people die despite our best efforts? Unfortunately, that's true too. Is suicide preventable? So, so that that is a a hard question to definitively answer. When you when you talk about suicide prevention, you have to take into account what you know about a person at the time. And what I always say to persons who've survived a suicide is you only know what you know at the time the person died. And sure, in retrospect, you may be able to piece things together that you could have done, but you you just you just know what you know at the time and that's what you can act on that's what you have the knowledge and so i think we have to be careful if we say yes suicide is totally preventable because i know how many survivors of suicide are out in the general public and the last thing i want to do is to cause more pain and trauma Mm -hmm. to folks who've survived a suicide. So it's a very complicated question, actually. Um, 
That being said, I work in suicide prevention. So I absolutely think there are things that we can do as individuals, as organizations, as providers of health care, and on a community and societal level to help prevent suicide and to make suicide a much less frequent event than it is right now. So I think there are, yes, amazing actions that we can take to prevent suicide. But, you know, is it totally preventable? I, I, I can't say that. Now, there are some people who would who would say that, mm -hmm. but just with all the all the folks I've met and encountered along this journey when learning about suicide, I can no longer say that myself. And that's the difficult truth that we're exploring today, that sometimes even the tuned in people who communicate openly know and look for the warning signs of depression and suicide and have the resources to access good care can still lose a loved one to depression. Please listen as Patty gives voice to depression. Our introduction to Patty was on the local news. She and her husband of 24 years sat side by side and talked about the death of their 18-year-old son, Jack, to suicide. Unfortunately, many of us have seen a report like that. But what made this different was that it was only three days after Jack's death and three days before his way-too-early funeral. And we wondered how a mother and father were functioning at that point, let alone already trying to reach out to help others. A few months passed before Patty and I sat down together. I asked why she wanted to share her story. You'll hear her other son banging around in the background while she answers. Signs of life we pretty much welcomed. Helping people made me feel better. Okay. And it still does. Um, and I think that the more I talk about my son, you know, I get teary, I get, I get, I laugh, you know, and, and I think that's what's supposed to happen. I think it helps me. It, it helps me do, it, it helps me remember him. It helps me find my purpose. Patty believes her purpose now includes carrying on Jack's work to change the world one heart at a time. That's Jack's catchphrase, which they printed on his funeral cards. And he did that through laughter. He did that through dressing in funny costumes. He did that through he was his tone-deaf singing. Um, he was a hilarious person. He really was a funny guy and just really just wanted to make, to make people feel good about themselves. And we knew that he did not feel good about himself, but we just didn't know the extent of that feeling. Actually, the family knew a lot more about Jack's feelings than is often the case. He was happy to talk about it, okay. and he wasn't embarrassed about it, but he would not tell you the truth about it. Yes, I have depression. You know, some people thought he was on drugs. He was not on drugs. He just, you know, honestly, it just takes so much out of you. I mean, he, I didn't know this, but senior year, he would spend his study halls in his car sleeping, and he would set his alarm so that he would wake up for his next class. Um, he was going to tell his story with the National Alliance for Ment Mental Illness, 
and he was excited about helping other people, but he was not really interested in helping himself. Jack had made at least three prior suicide attempts. He'd eagerly participated in Outward Bound and a high school retreat. He'd been hospitalized, treated in outpatient programs, had regular sessions with psychiatrists and psychologists, and tried different therapies. But... But I would say, you know, from day one as a child, he really would not accept anyone's help. I mean, I can remember him in tears, and and I was just like, I'm here to help you. It was a concept he just never quite got. He never got that we were always on his side. And it was, it was always a struggle, always a struggle. And not just with his parents. Patty says while her son attended doctor and therapy appointments. We knew he wasn't telling his therapist 100% truth, his psychiatrist 100% truth. And these folks can't help you if you don't break down and tell them the truth. You know, what are you looking forward to, forward to? Are you looking forward to something? Are you thinking about hurting yourself? You have to answer these questions truthfully because if you don't, you may be on the wrong medication. You, 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 you're, you're cutting yourself off from any opportunity to get better. You know, I think a lot of people with depression, Jack probably could have taught a class on how to mask what you're really feeling because he just was very good at telling everybody he was just doing great. Patty wants to make the point that Jack did not fit the typical media stereotype of a depressed, suicidal teen. Not so that you'll think differently of him, but just so you'll keep your antenna up for all people, including the handsome, funny, outgoing kids. A lot of the things I've been reading, a lot of the things I've been listening to, kids come from broken homes, they have some abuse, there's drugs or alcohol involved, and, you know, all of these things. Jack really had none of that. Jack was a big guy. He was, <laughs> he was a 10-pound baby. Um, he was six foot three, had a size 13 foot, had a huge personality, and he was not bullied. He was a very popular kid, both with guys and with girls, more so with girls, probably <laughs> to the point where it made me uncomfortable. What no longer made Patty uncomfortable was speaking directly with Jack about his depression. With all the research indicating that a prior history of suicide attempts is one of the strongest predictors of a completed suicide, they'd worked out a system. Our catchphrase at home was, are you safe? And I think that most people with depression would know what that means. You know, you're not exactly saying, are you trying to kill yourself? But you're, you're basically asking, are you safe enough that I can walk away and you won't hurt yourself? And if her son could not answer yes, or even if he just wasn't sure... And I would say, what can we do? Can we? So there were days where we would have like a little spa day. I call it spa day. We'd sit and watch, you know, his whatever comic movie he wanted to watch or whatever he wanted, go eat sushi, whatever. You know, and I would call him in sick and say, we're having a mental health day. 
And parents need to know that that is a tool that they can use. Again, yeah, your kid is suffering from something. It may not have a 101 degree temperature, but it is just as, as, as devastating and hard to get through. So you see why we said this is a really difficult episode. Where's the hope in a situation where a family with love, communication, and resources can't prevent their own child's death in their own home? It's absolutely heartbreaking. But it's also a reality, and we need to acknowledge it, for all the other parents out there bearing the unbelievable weight of what-ifs. And and I know I rode Jack pretty hard about certain things, but you can't control them. You just you just can't. You you got to give them the tools for them to make the decisions that they make. And you know maybe we gave our son the wrong tools because clearly we've you know at the end of the day we failed. I, and I and I don't mean that. I just mean that in a more almost clinical way. You know, um, you know he's not alive anymore. But it wasn't for lack of trying. going to hear more of Patty's story next week in a second episode where she'll share messages with other teens about the need to speak up if they notice changes in their friends' behaviors or just have that feeling that something's not right. And she also wants everyone to know that it's okay to ask for help when you need it. And that's where the hope is. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this so many times, Bridget, that we often complain, we as you know, people with depression about not getting the help and support we need. But if we say fine when someone asks how we are and we're not, or if we have the opportunity to be in a counseling session or with a doctor and you're having, you know, thoughts of death or suicidal ideation, those are things you have to share because, you know, you can only get helped for what people realize is going on. And it's a really tricky thing because we all want to act like we're fine. But if we're not, we're not. That's right. That's right. And sometimes that's even difficult to admit to ourselves, mm-hmm. let alone to share. Because of her faith, Patty believes this is part of God's plan. And she's sharing her story. And it's a huge and exhausting first step for her. Mm-hmm. A quick update. In the two years since we recorded this episode, best practices about the language to use when discussing suicide have been updated. In the same way that we no longer use the verb committed suicide or refer to successful or unsuccessful attempts because, well, think about it, it is recommended that we don't use the phrase completed suicide either, and we did. Instead, it is now recommended that we say attempted suicide if a person survives, or died by suicide, or took their own life if they do not, because words matter. We truly hope that our podcast brings a little more understanding, helps you better articulate your experience of depression, or better understand how to support someone else's. We invite you to join us for daily posts on the Giving Voice to Depression Facebook page and on Twitter and Instagram at Voice Depression. It is a comfort to be among fellow travelers on depression's dark road. And remember, if you're struggling, speak up. If someone else is, listen up.